Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. But imagine this, here you are and this is your passport and you're coming up to God and you're going to present your passport just like checking into heaven. You know, and they put the, they put the thing through and they go, oh, guilty of narcotics, um, murderer, wanted in three countries. Just, can you just come this way? That's going to be us. Have you ever been asked why you are a Christian and had that awkward moment of wondering how best to respond? Where do you start? Perhaps you thought you knew but became lost when you tried to explain it. Dr Corbett is working through a five-part series on apologetics to give us some clarity in our thinking about why it is that as believers we believe in the God of the Bible. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in his five-part series, so if you have any doubts about the authenticity of the Bible, stay tuned. And let's join Dr. Corbett for his apologetic arguments for the Bible. Three times a week, early in the morning, before many of you are up, I play tennis with Jake. That's you, Jake. And uh, I didn't get to play with tennis on Thursday because I went to the Global Leadership Summit and I saw Zach. Zach said hello in the car park and, and didn't show me where to park, just said, oh, over there somewhere. So I thought that was pretty pro. And uh, thanks, Zach. And then I uh, didn't see you, Lucas. Uh, didn't see you there at all. But anyway, welcome this morning. Um, and, and the only reason I mention that is because every Tuesday uh, when I catch up with Jake, I say, so, because of the church he goes to, I said, um, so what was preached on Sunday? Now, it's like, what, 36 hours before we have a hit, right? Like, it's not hard, is it? Really? Is it? <laughs> and I think Jake is... No, I'm not going to embarrass you on, on the one time you were able to remember. I'm not going to mention that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not... We've been hitting for about five years, and it's like... One time. So this Tuesday... <laughs> I'm going to ask you again, and you better... <laughs> do, you, do you have pen and paper? There's one in front of you if you need it, mate. Just... What's that? Hopefully it's a memorable message. Uh, can I just say, Lucas, I, I think we're, we're actually heading down that path now. Just, I think you're going to remember this. If this is your first time to Lagana, you've never been here before, Welcome. And as you can see, uh, we have a bit of fun and that's okay and we don't, you don't need to be quiet in church. You know, I think we went into a church, we, when we went overseas, we went into a church and the sign just as you come in is, quiet, you are entering church. It was like, quiet, you're, what? Uh, no. And so you can invite someone to church uh, virtually right now, uh, invite them to watch the webcast which is happening live right now. Just before I came up, I just put that on Facebook as well. I invited people to come to our online church as well. I was listening to Craig Groeschel at the Global Leadership Summit. He is the man who was the first pastor of a church to develop online church. No one had ever thought of it before. And he was saying that they, they got the technology set up. They had cameras just like we have. We've got three cameras here operating. We've got... Someone, who's that? Is that Scott up there? Who, who's up there? Is that you, Scott? Who's up there? Peter. Oh, Peter Loft. Okay, thank you, Peter. 
So Peter's up there, and uh, so these guys are working on the webcast right now, our online church. And Craig O'Shell was, was saying that when they launched theirs, uh, not many people were watching because uh, it came up in their team meeting where they were discussing it that uh, not many people look for putting the Google church online because there was no church online prior to Craig O'Shell coming up with it. And he, they changed the name of their church. They changed the name to uh, churchlive.tv just to give people the idea that maybe there was something happening, so they, they did that. And still, they didn't get many people watching it. So they're in their staff meeting, and one of the young guys said, you know, uh, we could buy Google AdWords, which you can buy. You can buy words, and when people search for it, because you've bought that search combination, it will take them first preference to your website. So you could do that. The young guy said, the problem is... No one's actually searching for church online, so there's no point buying those Google AdWords because no one's actually looking for that because no one's ever heard it before. We're the first ones to do it. So we need to, we need to come up with something that people actually are looking for. So you know, right there in the staff meeting, the young staff guy had his computer there, as they always do, and he put in most Googled search combination. Oh. And it came up, online sex. Well, that's an interesting reaction. <laughs> uh, I hope there wasn't anyone going, uh-oh. Um, uh, and so the young guy said, I think we should buy those Google AdWords. And Craig Groeschel's going, say, what? And he said, no, 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 hear me out, hear me out. We buy that and we create a, a page that says, uh, looking for online sex, look for online church instead. And apparently, there were enough people who got the guilts searching for online sex. As the first thing that came up is, looking for online sex, try online church first. And people God? It's like... <laughs> and they did. And tens of... Their, their web hits went from a few dozen to tens of thousands. And then up to, as we heard at the GLS, over two million each week watching their, their live church. Anyway, just a topic of discussion for our, our next board meeting. So, <laughs> so you can invite people and before we buy any Google AdWords, you can do that. How are we doing for memorable? Anyway, so, <laughs> so this is apologetics and the background here and as you see here is nothing I do is random. I think a lot about the background here and we've got the Pantheon and we've got uh, what's called the... Arapagus or the Acropolis and the Acropolis was where the ancient Greeks would meet to uh, was sort of the high pinnacle of the town and they would meet there to discuss ideas and out of Greece came the modern thing that we call philosophy from two Greek words philo love Sophia Sophie uh, which is wisdom the love of wisdom so this apologetics is also made up of two Greek words as we've seen Apol logia or logos as the root word of it and it's it's actually a word that's found in first peter 3 15 and it says always being prepared to make a defense and i've put in brackets here so you can see that that that's actually that greek word apologia so for some people and i've met people like this in fact i've had people leave this church because we do apologetics in fact just you know I had someone say, we, we shouldn't have to explain everything. The Holy, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And um, I thought, you know, their explanation to me was, um, 
self-contradictory because they were trying to explain to me why we shouldn't explain anything. Anyway, anyway so, so apology is from those two Greek words, which means to give and logos the word, to give the word or the, the reason. And here's my goal in doing this, and we've got a couple more sessions to go. Next week, we have the Bishop of Tasmania, Dr. Richard Condy. He's a brilliant apologist. He'll be with us next week. And here's my mission for you, that when someone says, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe that nonsense? That you will respond with a really good answer. And it doesn't, you don't have to know a heap of things, but I do hope that when you're asked, why do you believe in the God of the Bible? You will confidently answer, I believe in the God of the Bible because I have good reasons for doing so. Now that'll stop them in their tracks. Because for most people, they think you are an idiot as far as being a Christian goes. You may not be. In fact, you aren't. But for most people, they think if you're, if you're a Christian, you're probably an idiot. You believe in fairy tales. The Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny and Jesus. It's like all in the same thing for some people. Until they encounter you know, someone like you who might say this, I believe in the God of the Bible because I have good reasons for doing so. What are those good reasons for doing so? Well, we saw last week that we actually have five really good reasons for believing in the God of the Bible. Let me quickly run through those five really good reasons for believing in the God of the Bible. Firstly, the universe had a beginning. Wherever you have a beginning, you have a beginner. Can you imagine being at dinner at the table? You've got guests over, um, everyone's turned up, you're at the table, and the next thing, at the front door, you go, you hear that sound. And you don't move, and your guests go, um aren't you going to answer the door? No, 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 it's probably the door knocking itself. What? Yeah, the door's just knocking itself. You see, there are some people who do not believe that the universe had a beginning. They think it began itself. The problem is there was no self for it to begin itself. You see the problem here. Jeff Swearing, who was here a few years ago, has just written a book on this about the beginning. And it's quite a treatment of now how some really, really smart people are making themselves look and sound really, really dumb because they're saying there was never a beginning. The universe has just always been, which is just nonsensical because everything that is had a beginning and everything that had a beginning had a cause. And so scientists, cosmologists refer to the beginning of the universe as the Big Bang. And wherever you've got a Big Bang, you've always got a Big Banger. So this is logically the universe, it must have had an uncaused first cause, which was outside of space, time and energy. And if we went through, I I would give you quotes from physicists who now concede there was a point when there was no time, there was no space, there was no energy, there was no matter. So whatever caused that could not be that. So therefore, we're looking for a cause for the universe coming to existence. And I'm sorry if I'm making people's heads hurt here, but this is just know that if there's a beginning, there's a beginning. That's all you need to know. But if you want to have a little bit of head hurt, here it comes. If space, time, energy and matter came into existence at the beginning, then before that, they weren't there. Have I lost anyone? I'm not trying to be silly, but... You can get that, right? If space, time, energy and matter came into existence, they did not exist before coming into existence. Pretty clear. So whatever caused that had to be greater than that. So the knock at the door is caused by someone greater than the sound of a knock. It could be you. 
knocking at the door. You're greater than the knock. So whatever's, whatever caused that to come in, into existence has to be greater than time, we call that eternal, has to be greater than space, we call it omnipresent, has to be greater than matter, material, so we call that immaterial or spiritual, and space, time, energy, energy has to be greater than all of the energy in the universe. We call that omnipotent. Hmm, okay, so our candidate for what began the universe is eternal, uh, omnipresent, and it would have taken a fair bit of smarts to put all this together. That word is called omniscient, knows everything. So eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, spiritual, immaterial, and omnipotent, all power. If you, if you want to know the cause of the universe, they have to satisfy those five things. And can I tell you straight up, there's only one person who does. That's God. That's not a verse of the Bible, that's just using your noggin. Here's the second reason for knowing that the God of the Bible is for real. Here's our reasons. The universe displays exquisite fine-tuning and design, which comes from a mind comes from a mind. I'm going to announce today what some of you may not know. Some of you have heard the leak. So let me tell you what's happening in April. We are thrilled, and I've been working on this for over a year to make this happen, for our Easter, which will be the first or second weekend in April next year. We, I'm so thrilled that we have the world's leading cosmologist coming to Lagana to do our Easter event. Dr. Hugh Ross. This will, now, if, let's try that again. Is this, is this on? Let's try again. Show a little bit of excitement. For Easter next year, 2020, we are having the world's leading cosmologist who's regarded as one of the greatest living apologists ever, Dr. Hugh Ross. That's how you do it. Thanks, Zach. I saw you clap there. Do you know who Hugh Ross is, Zach? No idea. Okay, so <laughs> Dr. Hugh Ross was um, the chief, uh, one of the chief astronomers, I think, for Canada and a PhD in astronomy and astrophysics and cosmology. And when he talks about the 34 conditions that had to be necessary at the beginning that required exquisite fine-tuning, he goes into numbers that one of the numbers is 10 to the minus 67th of a second. And it had to be that precise because if the universe expanded at a rate any faster than that, it would have overheated and blown up. If it expanded any slower than that, it would have caved in on itself and we wouldn't have what we have today. And he goes through and he gives, there's a list of about 1,200 things that have to be simultaneously in place in the universe for the universe to exist. And he said it just simply defies any randomness that it could have happened by itself. The universe displays exquisite. Now, exquisite is that word beautiful. The universe is defined by what physicists call exquisite equations. The E equals mc squared is one of the most beautiful equations, and yet it defines the stuff of the universe. It's amazing. It's E, M, C. It's three letters. And that's, that's the God, the mind of God behind this universe. So logically, the cause of the universe coming into existence required the simultaneous fine-tuning of several hundred factors in order for everything to come into existence. It could not, it just simply could not be random. Thirdly, there's a universal awareness of right and wrong. That's called morality. 
shared by every human being. I was listening to Sean McDowell describe this as this sense of universal morality as the, the beach ball at the pool. He said there are people who say that no, there's no morality, there's no right or wrong, because ultimately if there's a God, one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to be judged by this God and what we've done matters right now because if we've not done the right thing, we're going to stand before the judge who's going to either declare us guilty or if we've lived a perfect life, he'll, he, he will declare us innocent. That's, that's a, either a comforting thought if you're perfect or not a very comforting thought if you're like me and you have stuffed up life so badly so often that it terrifies you. And so uh, Sean McDowell said, but there are people who deny that and they say, no, 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 life is like, you know, right and wrong is kind of like your choice of ice cream. You know, you go into an ice cream parlour, you've got 36 flavours, pick your flavour, that's your preference. Right and wrong is whatever you feel to do, whatever you want to do, it doesn't really matter. And he said what they're doing is they're at the pool, they're in the deep end of the pool, and they're continually trying to push that beach ball down the water and saying, no, 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 this thing doesn't float. It, it doesn't float. <laughs> And no matter what happens, it keeps coming up because reality is life is riddled with a sense of right and wrong. And so you, you have people who, and I heard of a debate where there was one team debating life is not a matter of right and wrong because you know, it's your preference, you can do whatever you want, it doesn't really matter, as long as you don't hurt anyone, which is kind of a, a moral position anyway. Then there were the Christians arguing, no, God's written the, the law of right and wrong on every human heart. We know intuitively what's right. We know intuitively what's wrong. The, by the way, after World War II, um, what laws had the Nazis broken? Because at the Nuremberg trials, <coughs> the prosecutors had a problem because they were trialling all these uh, SS officers and they said they didn't break any German laws. How do we prosecute them? And, and they're on the way over in the plane. If you've seen the movie Nuremberg, one of the prosecutors says, we don't try them on German law. Well, that was the only thing they had to try them on. He said, no, 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 there's a law higher than German's law. There's a law higher than any nation's law. And they're going, go on. And he said, it, it's, it's the law written in our hearts of right and wrong. And they said, yeah, that could work. And so at the Nuremberg trials, the SS officers were convicted of breaching human rights. And, and the case was that humans are endowed with certain unalienable rights from their creator. And on that basis, certain SS officers were found guilty and sentenced. On that basis. Now, if there's no internal law of right and wrong written on every human heart, we should probably apologise to those SS officers and, and recompense somehow, which is an absurd thing. We know there's right and wrong. Let's take sexuality, for example. Sexuality, some people say, in fact, I heard someone describe sexuality who doesn't believe in God, which is convenient because if you did, it would change your perspective, that sex is like just drinking water. I mean, pfft. Drink water, have sex. It's just, morally, it's exactly the same. Um, if you've ever heard the story, and I heard the story at the GLS of a Salvation Army a captain or major, I, I think she was, and she, she began working with sex workers 
And she went to a brothel and spoke with the madam of the, the brothel and, and said, you're a bright lady. You've got so much going for you. How did you end up here? And she said, when I was, and I forget the age, 11. When I was 11, was it her dad? My dad sexually molested me. And it hurt me in so many ways so deeply, so profoundly that I ran away from home. Really, sex is like having a drink of water. It's morally equivalent to a drink of water. And, and I don't want to stir anything up for people here, but I'm sure that there are those who go, yeah, I think it's morally equivalent to having a glass of water. Then I'm telling you, there are people in this room listening to me right now who've been sexually abused, and I'm telling you, they'll probably throw a glass of water at you if you try and tell them it's no different to having a drink of water because it hurts and this girl ran away and she she met a man on the street who said where, where are you staying I've got nowhere to stay he said well you can come stay at my place if you have sex with me and he said so he did and it hurt she was 11 and then he did again and it hurt and he kept going and, and it hurt and eventually I just became numb and here I am running a brothel and the Salvation Army officer said, I'm so sorry. She said, don't be sorry. Answer me this question. Where were you when I was 11? Don't tell me it's morally equivalent to having a glass of water, you fool. There is a sense of morality written on every human heart. These, this can only come if you've got a law written on your heart. Where you've got a law, you've got a lawgiver. Where you've got right and wrong, you've got someone who lives up to that standard, who is qualified and authorised to establish what is right and wrong. That can only be God. He's the only one qualified to do it. Point number four, reason number four why we believe in the God of the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ. His life, his miracles, his teaching, his identity claims, claiming to be God, the eternal God. And all of this was verified by the mother of miracles, his resurrection from the dead. Dead people do not come back to life after three days. So Jesus Christ claimed to be the eternal. Remember when the guards came for him, he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He simply said two words. He invoked the divine name of God. I am. Every Hebrew knew what that meant. No one dared say that. He was saying in that moment, I'm God. I am. They fell over, it says in the Gospel of John. Man, that's not some hippie philosopher saying that. That's God in the flesh. And he rose from the dead. Even if you just remember that one, that's a good enough reason to be a Christian right now. Number five, the claims of the God of the Bible about human fulfillment and purpose can be put to the test experientially. Uh, we have really good ways to test this claim. 
We see in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus say this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's John 14, 27. You can put that to the test. You can take that to the bank. You'll find the claims of Christ that he offered as benefits to following him can be tested and, and you'll see, you'll discover they're true. The central claims of Christianity we've seen are unique and we need to understand these because Christianity is not like any other religion. I was, oh man, I was looking at an Islamic website uh, yesterday and someone wrote on the forum and said, I'm a Christian, what you're saying is that there's not that much difference between Islam and Christianity. And the Muslim respondent said, that's exactly right. We worship the same God, we have the same holy book, and we, we believe the same thing. That is, um, th- that is not true in a, in a long way. And let, let me hopefully make that clear to you. The central claims of Christianity about why Christianity is unique Number one, the identity and nature of God. You might think, well, hang on, other religions believe what Christianity believes. There's not one. There is not one. There is not one that does. Sorry, did anyone not hear what I just said? There is not one that does. Not one. Eh, Gee, he's being vague. What what does he mean? No, there's not one. The claims of Christianity about God are unique, that he is creator, lawgiver, redeemer, and judge. They're the four categories that John Calvin used to write his Institutes of the Christian Religion. They're all about the nature of God. This is unique to Christianity. You might think, oh, I thought other, other religions believe that. Oh, but surely Judaism believes that. No, Judaism does not accept that Jesus was the Redeemer. They don't. God is the Redeemer. Secondly, and here's... I don't know, it's just one step just slightly down from that first claim, and that is this, the authoritative revelation of God in the 66 books of the Bible. You see, I remember one of the first times I encountered a Mormon knocking at my door. I said, look, I don't really need what you're offering. I'm a Christian. They said, ah, yes, but your book is really hanging up. There could be things fall out of my Bible at this point. Let's see that. Your, your book's like a, a book that's, that's, yep, told you, hanging on a, on a wall and it's crooked. You need the Book of Mormon to be the other picture hook to help your Bible. And I'm going, oh, do I? Really? Um, I, I've since investigated that claim and I can tell you categorically, but don't take my word for it, that is, that is a load of crock. It's the Greek word for not true. (laughs) The Bible is, and here's the two big claims about the Bible from a Christian point of view. Firstly, number one, it's divinely inspired. Number two, it is inerrant. Now, inerrant's not a word we use. In fact, it's a word we can't use very often. We just can't use that word because it means there's no error. I mean, we can't use it because none of us can write anything and go, well, if I don't, you know... Pardon me for saying so, but I think that essay, uh, uh, to, is you handed into the teacher? You know, I think that essay I've just handed in is inerrant. <laughs> There's not a mistake in it. Not a mistake in it. Well, where's your name? Oh, okay, all right, I missed my name. No, I forgot my name. You know, so inerrant means without error. Now, and, and hopefully you'll see why. 
Thirdly, the third biggest unique claim of Christianity is that peace and reconciliation with God is only possible through faith in the... And I know this sounds like religious language, but I'm not just going to leave it at religious language. I'm going to explain this to you. Faith in the atoning work of Christ. Now, the atoning work of Christ simply means this. The sins that we have committed deserve death. Not just death like in a moment, but death for eternity because death in the God sense means separated from your life source. And so when we say our sins deserve death, we are calling sin a capital offence. Capital offence means it's worthy of life being taken from someone. So when we say the atoning work of Christ, we, we mean this. And in fact, the thing that fell out of my Bible before was a... Uh, let's, let's have a look. It was, and it's a great illustration. It's the Lagana Passport. Who remembers that? Yeah. The Lagana Passport. We're doing, we're doing something similar to this again. Um, second weekend in February, by the way, coming up. We're going to celebrate our... We celebrated this for our 30th birthday we're going to celebrate our 33rd birthday we're going to invite the community along we're going to have all kinds of things as I said we're going to have jumping castles we're going to have face painting and then we still got to figure out what we're going to get for the kids but we'll, we'll think of something so but imagine this here you are and this is your passport and you're coming up to God and you're going to present your passport just like check-in into heaven you know and they put the they put the thing through and they go oh Guilty of narcotics, um, murderer, wanted in three countries. Just Can you just come this way? You know, they put him in the side room. That's going to be us. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Apologetic Arguments for the Bible from our online store. As we've heard tonight, there are five good reasons for believing in the God of the Bible and three definitive reasons why the central claims of Christianity are unique. More from Dr. Corbett next week with part four of the Apologetic series. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.